Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. All right, let's go back, back, all the way to the fall of 1974 on ABC. Ah, uh, there it is. The theme from Kolshak, The Night Stalker. Kendall Phillips is a professor of communication and rhetorical studies at Syracuse University. Again, the book is Kolshak, The Night Stalker. He's also the author of Projected Fears, Horror Films in American Culture, Dark Directions, Romero, Craven, Carpenter, and the Modern Horror Film, A Place of Darkness, the Rhetoric of Horror in Early American Cinema and A Cinema of Hopelessness, the Rhetoric, the uh, Rhetoric of Rage in 21st Century Popular Culture. Kendall Phillips, welcome to Coast to Coast AM. How are you? I'm well, Richard. And I have to say, as a person who spent a lot of early, late nights, early mornings uh, driving, uh, listening to Coast to Coast AM, it is a, a, an incredible honor. Uh, to be on the show. So thank you so much for having me. 
Well, this is exactly where you should be. I mean, writing this book about, again, one of my favorite uh, television shows. Uh, but before we, we talk about the series, I, I want to talk about that made-for-TV movie because it made such an impact. Not a pleasant one initially for me because, I don't know, I know people throw around that word traumatized a little too much. Uh, uh, so that might be going too far. But, man, I was it, it uh, impacted me for years. Um, talk to me about the success of that. I think it set ratings records for the, the uh, movie of the week, didn't it? It absolutely did. So January 11th, 1972, uh, it was a, a classic sort of TV movie of the week on ABC. People probably still remember those made-for-television movies and how that was kind of a big deal every week, what was going to be the next ABC uh, movie of the week. And The Night Stalker was this enormous rating success, surprising ABC and everybody else. Uh, it really did capture the imagination, and uh, it's interesting, actually, it's, it, the, the data suggests that the ratings actually improved as it went on, which suggests, back in the days before social media, uh, that people watching the, sh the movie were getting on the phone and calling their friends and saying, oh my gosh, you've got to turn on the TV and check this out. But it absolutely uh, captured the popular imagination and set the stage for all the later Carl Kolchak adventures to come. Uh, and it was it was based on a, an Anne, an Anne Rice novel that, w what, that had not yet been published, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it was actually Jeff Rice, so that's a good. Uh, uh, Jeff would have loved to have ah, had Jeff Anne Rice. Rice's success. <laughs> Jeff so Rice, Jeff, right? Sadly, uh, Jeff, this was Jeff's. Uh, it was an unpublished novel. You're exactly right. Uh, Jeff Rice uh, had grown up in Las Vegas. Uh, he had actually worked at a newspaper. Uh, and had lots of various jobs in and around uh, Vegas, so he'd seen all the different sides of the Strip and every other part of that great city, uh, and had written this novel, uh, apparently based partly on a curmudgeonly old reporter that he knew uh, from the newspaper there in Vegas, uh, and could not find a publisher, and yet somebody at ABC wisely recognized the potential brilliance and then got the the script or got the novel into exactly the right hands to turn it from a nice but you know not particularly exciting uh manuscript into what would become television history right and and you couldn't ask for uh a better person to adapt it for tv than the great richard matheson Absolutely. You know, Richard Matheson is maybe a name uh, some folks who are not, you know, deeply embedded in television history won't remember, uh, but they'll certainly remember some of his works. Uh, he wrote the novel I Am Legend uh, that's been adapted several times for movies. He wrote The Incredible Shrinking Man uh, and had a great uh, career writing in television. So he'd written for uh, uh, the Twilight Zone uh, and other sort of gothic uh, sort of properties. Uh, so absolutely, Richard Matheson with the script. And then, you know, the other person I think is really crucial uh, to that uh, original success of the first and then even the second television movie was the producer Dan Curtis, uh, who actually has a connection to me. Dan Curtis went to Syracuse University, uh, but uh -huh. he was probably also instrumental in pulling together the success of those first two television movies. Right, uh, best known for uh, his work with the Dark Shadows. Yeah, it's interesting. Dan Curtis had actually started his career in television uh, as a sports guy. So he had produced a couple of very successful golf shows. So, and yet, uh, apparently, he tells the story that he had a dream one night 
uh, of this woman standing on a you know clouded coast by some old Gothic building somewhere in Maine, and suddenly this whole kind of narrative uh, appeared to him that would become the very very influential daytime uh, television show uh, Dark Shadows. Uh, which began as a kind of traditional gothic melodrama, and then increasingly, for folks who, who've seen it, know uh, it included vampires and doppelgangers and old gods and H.P. Lovecraft, and it eventually became a very, very uh, strange, surreal gothic television show, but certainly opened the door for what was probably Curtis's biggest success in terms of the broad history of television, and that was Kolchak. And, and how did Darren McGavin, who played Kolchak, uh, come to be involved in the project? I mean, if you think back, and again, this may be for some of the younger folks who are uh, deep into television history, uh, but Darren McGavin was a, a kind of mainstay of American television screens in that period in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. Interestingly, his first uh, major television role uh, had come as a crime-fighting newspaper photographer. So we, we've already got this idea of, of Darren McGavin uh, somehow related to journalism. Uh, he was also known for a lot of these kind of tough guy, uh, Mickey Spillane kind of uh, uh, Mike Hammer detective figures. And again, none of the series McGavin was on went tremendously long period of time, but this was back in the era where a lot of shows would be one, two, three seasons and out. Uh, but Darren McGavin was your kind of classic character actor. He had all that kind of rugged good looks and that cynical charm, and uh, that was immediately who Darren McGavin and the network wanted to get in the role. And obviously, uh, as we've even seen later in history, uh, you could put a lot of people in that role, but Darren McGavin is the person who really brought it to life. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. And the uh, the accoutrement, the the uh, the cheap seersucker suit, those dirty tennis shoes, the straw border hat, that cheap Instamatic camera that he wore. He had a little wristband that he wore around. He dangled from his wrist, that, you know, and he was always chasing the police down the corridor looking for an interview. And he had the tape recorder. Uh, did he bring those? to the to the series uh you are absolutely right richard you're absolutely right the original plan uh of the set and costume design folks was to have mcgavin in sort of summer wear like a hawaiian shirt and maybe shorts because they were thinking okay he's a reporter in las vegas and what would a las vegas reporter wear they'd wear comfort and cool but mcgavin was the person and i think this is really perhaps the key to carl kolchak across the entirety of, of the movies in the series, he caught a line in the script where Kolchak was talking about wanting to get back to New York, wanting to get back to what had been earlier success in his career. And I've always thought that was one of the keys to Carl Kolchak. He he wasn't some young reporter. He wasn't some cub reporter. He was a veteran. He had been closer to the top and now had kind of felt, at least he felt, his career had fallen down to where he ends up in Vegas working for a smaller paper. And so that ambition of Carl Kolchak to get back to New York led Darren McGavin to ask, what would a newspaper reporter from New York in the late 60s, early 70s, what would they have been wearing? And it was the seersucker suit and the straw hat. And McGavin was the person who insisted that's what Carl looks like. He still imagines himself just one plane right away from stepping back to New York and getting back in with the Times or one of the big papers there. And I think that kind of burning ambition really helps to explain why Carl was consistently willing to go into those basements or those uh, tunnels looking for something because he thought that was going to be the key to getting him back on top. So, uh, if memory serves, uh, the the movie the TV movie begins with Kolchak in a in a motel room uh, speaking into uh, a tape recorder, and it ends the same way. So this kind of uh, journaling and um, uh, well, journaling I guess is 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 the uh, the, the term uh, that that's very reminiscent of what Bram Stoker did in the novel Dracula, because that, that, that book is all about, you know, journals and documents and, and it's that, that's the way the story unfolds. Uh, so I'm guessing, I mean, did, did, was that what Matheson, did he make a conscious decision that he was going to use that same sort of literary device of Bram Stoker and bring it to television? Absolutely. And, and Richard, you're exactly right. And in fact, it was fairly common of those early Gothic novels. You know, certainly Dracula is, is the most prominent of those, but even earlier, uh, like the early, late 
18th century Gothic novels like Castle Tronto and The Monk and these very first uh, novels that were bringing these kind of mysterious castles and ghosts to uh, English reading audiences, they often use that letter format where someone is saying, let me tell you the story of what happened, or I had this strange thing happen to me last night, I'm going to write about it here in my diary or send a letter off. And that kind of creates this interesting frame. So and this was you know, consistent throughout the Night Stalker movies and then the television series, is that we would usually begin with Carl saying, let me tell you the story of this mysterious, strange thing. Then we see the story, and then we get to the end. Uh, and it's also, of course, reminiscent of uh, you know, TV and film noir, where we often had the hard-boiled detective coming to say, let me tell you a story, and then we get to see the story unfold. All right, we have to talk about the uh, the vampire, uh, yeah. Barry Atwater, and w- what I think I found m- maybe most pr- most frightening was he had a name. This vampire, I mean, he just it wasn't just the vampire, right? Oh, Yano uh, Skorzeny. What a what a what a yeah. creepy name. <laughs> okay, exactly. So tell me about the casting of Barry Atwater as the vampire, who has no lines in the in the in the movie. No, it's interesting across the uh, Kolchak series, as well as the TV movies, many of the monsters don't actually get any lines. Um, it's, occasionally they do, but certainly that starts with Janos Skorzeny, uh, who was, by the time you get to 1972, already fairly well known to audiences as a slightly supernatural, strange character. Uh, he probably, folks would remember him uh, from Star Trek, uh, where he played uh, uh, the Spock's father. Uh, he'd also appeared in a variety of sort of, you know, uh, Twilight Zone episodes and, and the Night Gallery and things. So audiences watching would have recognized Barry Atwater both as a kind of familiar character actor, but also as a character actor often playing those slightly strange alien or gothic figures. Also, uh, if memory serves, um... I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this was Richard Matheson's doing or who made the decision, but uh, Janos sort of broke with the vampire code. I remember. I mean, he he walked around in the daytime. Um, he would he could he would break into people's homes, you know, uh, to find his victims. He didn't have to be invited into his homes, into their homes. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, breaking that that vampire code. Yeah, I think, honestly, the, the thing that the TV movie, and again, enormously successful popular TV movie, I think what it did that was the most important and influential and part of what really brought audiences and, and, and really set Kolchak and the Night Stalker into the popular imagination was it took this old, traditional Gothic monster, the vampire. And again, we've seen that all the way back to Bram Stoker, and we've seen all kinds of iterations of this Victorian era, wearing a cape, I will drink your blood sort of vampire. But rather than get wrapped up in those old folklore, they took that character, or that that monster, and put it very much in 1970s America, so that the vampire has to rent a car, he has to rent a house, he has to walk around the Vegas Strip looking for victims. When he kills someone, the police look for him. Reporters, there's autopsies, it's in the newspaper. And so you really took that very old traditional monster that we've all seen with Bela Lugosi and in Bram Stoker's novel, 
but put it in a modern America where there's reality. Like they, it's not just some mysterious figure magically appearing and disappearing. They have to live in the real world. And that's, I think, what really made the Night Stalker so terrifying. It didn't seem like something that happened over there or back then. It seemed like something that really could be happening right now, down the street, in that alleyway just behind the Vegas Strip. Right. <clears throat> Yano Skorzeny was totally devoid of, of charm. There was no, you know, there was no romantic subtext or anything like that. He was, he was just a vicious, uh, a vicious, ruthless killer. Absolutely. And, and, and he, he robs the, the blood bank, which is a, now kind of classic joke, but he, he, you know, to find food. So this is much more a predator in the serial killer mode than it is Frank Langella or uh, Bella Lugosi in this kind of romantic figure. And that, again, I think that's one of the things the series was consistently good at doing is taking mythic figures from the past and putting them into the very real world of today, which, of course, makes them all the more terrifying. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 